466-2832. To accept this call, press zero. To refuse this call, hang up or... This call is from a correctional facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. Three-way calls are strictly prohibited and a violation of an MDOC policy. Thank you for using GTL. Good morning, brother. Good morning. Hey, how's it going? Man, I'm doing blessed, man. I'm just um getting cleaned up for the day and whatnot, waiting on your call. How you doing? I'm all right. Just in here, uh, I was in here making some Mother's Day cards for the little homies, make sure they get something out to the moms. So I made a bunch of Mother's Day cards and gave to all my little homies so they can send something out. Yeah, yeah. Happy Mother's Day for that. Blessings for that. The mothers are important, man. But um no I mean um man I'm just trucking along man I got this podcast thing blowing up and got a lot going on here All in the right. Tampa Bay area with with the organization with the nonprofit and uh just a lot of good positive things man but you know you get a lot of you get a lot of pushback from the individuals who know that you're coming to correct course you know what I mean Yeah, well, they have to because their careers are based on it, you know? Yeah, of course, yeah. So I wanted to reconnect with you because I saw that you uh, you had something going on in the court and and the result wasn't favorable. Uh, refresh my memory on that. What happened? Yeah. All right, let me tell you what happened. Back in 2021... I filed, I, I tried to get, they had a grand jury on my case. It was an illegal grand jury. It was outside the jurisdiction of the case. And what the prosecutor did, he had no authority to conduct, conduct this grand jury. And the only way he could have got this grand jury was to lie on the petition to have the grand jury. Because a, a grand jury has no authority to investigate a crime outside of its jurisdiction. So the prosecutor who did this knew where the crime occurred, yet he still petitioned the Michigan Court of Appeals to hold a grand jury. So they won't release the petition showing what he said. Anyway, they held the grand jury. Now, I found a newspaper uh, clipping that said someone was indicted for this grand jury, but couldn't from this for this grand jury for this case, but couldn't be found. Now, I was in the county jail at the time, so I got approximately uh, nine transcripts from this grand jury all of it was basically my co-defendant and his family and uh, uh a couple of the uh medical examiners anyway come to find out there was close to 30 people who went in front of this grand jury so i asked the judge to release it to me which by law i'm supposed to get the judge refused to give it to me wouldn't even answer my motion when i filed a motion for it so i had to file what's called superintendent control on the judge Filed superintendent control on the judge, took this all the way to the Michigan Court of Appeals. The Michigan Court of Appeals told me, yes, it happened, the transcripts are there, but I waited too long to ask for it. Now, there's exculpatory evidence in these grand jury transcripts, but they're telling me I waited too long to ask for it. Now, when this happened, they also granted me an evidentiary hearing in the circuit court. So they appointed me an attorney to represent me in the circuit court for this evidentiary hearing. The attorney shows up, doesn't tell me when the hearing is, 
doesn't have me there, doesn't have me on Zoom, tells the judge he doesn't know why he's there. The judge dismisses the evidentiary hearing. I file an attorney grievance on the, on the attorney. The attorney grievance commission agrees with me, tells me the, the, the attorney was ineffective and basically he was in the wrong. All they do is they give him a slap on the wrist, a confidential slap on the wrist. So they don't even want that to come out that I had the evidentiary hearing. Well, I had some friends that were at one of the rallies up at the Capitol. They confront uh, the prosecutor's office, uh, the current prosecutor at that time, who, uh, who uh, from the office that did this grand jury. She said she's going to look into it. Is that, she is looks that, into it. She tells me. Oh, oh, stop right there. Is that is that, that, that is that the video that I got? What was his name? Josh or something like that? When I was up there in Michigan and I and I videoed him stepping up to the prosecutor and, and mentioning you. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Okay. So she really looked into it. She came back and told me, yeah, something was there, but she can't find it anymore. So obviously, the former uh, prosecutor got rid of all this shit. She tells me I need to contact the Conviction Integrity Unit. Now, this is a, a, a prosecutor who's telling me, look, you need to contact the Conviction Integrity Unit because she knows there's some foul play going on. Then she tells me someone from her office was subpoenaed and testified at a hearing about my case in Calhoun County. That's the county that has jurisdiction. I was never told anything about this, this uh, hearing or what happened. So... Someone from her office testified at a hearing about my case, about evidence that's being withheld, and they still didn't tell me about this hearing. So they're holding secret hearings about my case and evidence in my case and not letting me know about it. So I, I motioned, no, I wrote a letter to the judge in that county asking, asking them what's going on. Are they having hearings about my case? They won't respond. They won't tell me what's going on. So when I find out that the prosecutor in my, the original prosecutor in my case was illegally appointed and everything he did should have been null and void, I file a, a state habeas corpus saying there's a radical jurisdiction effect. The courts never had jurisdiction for my case because the state wasn't present because this uh, prosecutor was illegally appointed. Take to the Court of Appeals. First, the circuit court shoots me down. Take to the Court of Appeals. They tell me, yeah, the... The prosecutor was illegally appointed. All this stuff was illegal, but they're they're implementing what's called the de facto officer doctrine. Basically, the we can do whatever we want to do doctrine. It's an old doctrine from like the the 1500s. So I take that to so I take my state habe to the Michigan Supreme Court. The Michigan Supreme Court clerk refuses to file my state habe. So that's where I am right now. I'm about to file a 1983 civil uh, suit on the Supreme Court clerk because he refuses to file my state hate. On what grounds? He's, he made he invented his own court rule. He sent me a court rule. I looked at it. I said, this isn't a court rule. I went and looked up the court rule. It's not. He invented his own court rule and is telling me that I have to, I should have appealed the Court of Appeals decision. Now, a habeas corpus is an original action. I can file an original action. And the thing about it is, someone has already challenged this in the Sixth Circuit, which is our uh, United States Court of Appeals uh, court, has already ruled that this judge is, is, is wrong. He's basically saying the wrong procedure for a, a habeas corpus. 
but I'm going to have to go through the steps of filing this 1983 against the clerk to get a declaratory judgment to tell this clerk, look, go ahead and file that and say, hey, because he's not doing it. And I think he's doing it because I'm pointing out that exactly what happened with the, the Flint water crisis, with the defendants in the Flint water crisis, who all had their, their the prosecutions against them tossed, should apply to everyone. That shouldn't apply to just state officials who are well-connected and who have money. That should apply to everyone in this state. And I pointed it out, and now they're refusing to look at it. Yeah, you, box, <clears throat> you boxed them in. Yeah, I'm boxing them in. But the thing is, no one's looking at my case. It's like... I keep challenging, or I couldn't. I can't even say challenging because basically I'm pleading with local uh, media around here to just look at the evidence in this case. I'm showing them that everything this prosecutor presented is false evidence, but they refuse to look into it. I just ask them, look, I'm telling you what this is. Look into it, verify it, report on it, but they won't do it. They want to sweep everything with this case under the rug. Well, one thing... One thing about my podcast, homeboy, is is I'm trying to get the people to understand, to to stop stop messing with the news. The news is not for the people. It's not for the people. The the news is only going to report one what they're allowed to report on, what they're told to report on, and what's going to bring them ratings. Now you may bring them ratings. Right. You may bring them ratings, but. You're you're exposing their 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 chief. They're not going to do that. Yeah. They're not going to do that. Yeah. Well, they I bring them ratings when they tell this lie because that's what's bringing them ratings. They like to tell this story. Well, that's what I mean. Because you know that the story's gruesome and they love that story, but they won't report on the truth of this case. They just like the the the, deep, the, the gruesome uh, horror fairy tale or whatever they created, but they won't report on the true facts of this case. Yeah, no, I know. And that's why I wanted to get you back on the show so you could speak it how it is. And and that's crazy, man. All of that stuff is crazy. You know, I never seen my grand jury, uh, my grand jury testimony. They told me the same thing. I waited too, too long to file it. I was supposed to file for my grand jury transcripts before I started trial. Is what they told me here in Florida. I've never even and, seen my, my jury and, transcript. And the whole, we did ask for it. I had a, my son's mother came to see me in the county jail, and she told me that when she went and testified in front of the grand jury, she was like, I don't know, there were like 30 people who went there. So I told my attorney, and my attorney motioned for the grand jury transcripts. Now, I have this on the record. There was an agreement between my attorney and the prosecutor to produce all grand jury transcripts. Yet... The prosecutor still withheld all of them, even though there was an agreement. And and this goes into exactly what I tell the people when I say that the prosecutor has more power in the courtroom than the judge. The prosecutor is the more, most powerful piece in that they courtroom, do. man. They are. They are. I said but right now, the, the conviction integrity unit has my case. You know, I have, I have my Thursday night show. I have a Thursday night get right show. And my co-host is Demetrius Knuckles Ear. Uh -huh. You know who that is? Demetrius? Demetrius? Yeah. That's my co-host every Thursday night. No, I don't so, know who that is. So he, he's the one that he, up there in Michigan, he was released under the, uh -huh. the juvenile law. He had life, and he was released under the juvenile law because he All was right. given life as a juvenile. So he did 30 years up in the MDOC. Now, he's, uh, he's mm -hmm. with Michigan Liberation and uh, right. Great Minds 5.0, but he's... You know, he's connected to 
uh, all those guys in the CIU that that is part of forming all of that. So all this right. was another reason why I wanted to get your show because I told Demetrius I was getting ready to run a show with you, so we uh-huh. can play it on the Thursday night show and discuss it. Does he know who I am in the case? I'm sure. I'm sure he knows who you are, probably just from uh, you know just from hearsay or whatnot. But I don't know if he knows the specifics yeah. of your case. Yeah, because my case was huge in Michigan. It's still one of Michigan's most high-profile cases. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's a crazy case, man. All that stuff up there in Michigan is... is it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. It's, it's bad out here right now, John. Like, it's, it's really, really bad, man. And the people are scared. The people are confused. They don't know who to trust. It's, it's really, really crazy, man. It's crazy. And, and the whole thing with, with my case is, I'm just saying, I want all the evidence out. I want everything on the table. And you can see plain as day that the state does not want to put everything on the table. You have one minute remaining. With my co-defendant, he was a federal informant. He was working with the Mexican mafia and ended up a federal informant. So he was working as a federal informant all this time while my case was going on. And the main guy who got indicted under that indictment, he's released now. He got out of the Fed joint. And he told me flat out that this guy was trying to have me killed during that time because I was the only one that knew about this. So obviously, if he was a federal informant and he was trying to have me killed during this time, the Feds knew about it right. and never released any of this information. In a sense, and 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 in a sense, he he had you killed. Yeah, he did. You're absolutely right. So, what do you want me to do? When do you want me to call back in, or, or what's up? Call back. Call right back. If can, or do you have to wait? No, I don't have to wait. We don't have the restriction out here. I'll call. I'll call right back. Yeah, call right back, partner. Thank you for using GTL. Hello, this is a prepaid debit call from John Kehoe. Thank you for using GTL. All right. Yeah. So let me tell you this this quick story of this case that I'm working on down here, right? His name is John Mary. He's been locked up 40 years. <clears throat> He's went through all kinds of paralegal services, went through trial, went, you know, all, the whole nine. So I ended up taking this case, and quickly I discovered that the prosecutor in this case was using a schizophrenic lunatic... Well, let me not use the word lunatic. An insane person, clinically insane, schizophrenic, um, to one, testify in front of the grand jury to get John Merritt indicted, and then two, turn around and testify at his trial. And this was the star witness. I have records from the, the, the Florida State Hospital showing that this man was clinically insane and none of that was 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 um revealed to the jury or the court yeah that's crazy so so where is he right now he's still in prison he's he's down here um in everglades ci trying to get into the lifers program every parole that he's had these uh these individuals the prosecutor and the and the sheriff's investigator at the time show up at his parole and and just uh, completely diminish him, you know, so he has no chance, but it's going to change at his next parole hearing. But, you know, this prosecutor that is involved in this is the same prosecutor that prosecuted Ted Bundy. 
So yeah, he's been around for a while then. Yes. And now he's a professor at a, at a law school. So th this is this is who I'm I'm going to have to uncover for his corruption. Yeah. And and, and that's what happened. That's when they go on and get these prestigious positions, like he's a professor at a law school now. Yep. So now he's teaching students, but he doesn't want his past to come back and, and bite him. They don't, he doesn't want the dirt, and they don't want the dirt to come out on this guy because he's out here teaching other law school students. That's exactly right. And guess what he's teaching? Mental capacity within the criminal justice system. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's, 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 it, this... That's why I say it's insane. Like you, you look at this stuff and you and you think, man, this stuff has. We have to be in a, in a scripted movie. This has to be a movie. It's just insane when you look at this and like how it took me three months to uncover this. This man has been incarcerated for forty years, and none of these paralegal services, none of these people ever raised this issue there, never even found it, never even to look, look, thought to even look into it. I know where the corruption sits at, man. When, when a case is corrupt, it's going to sit in the grand jury indictments, in the grand jury transcripts. All the corruption is always in the investigation. People are always looking for the corruption in the trial. The trial is the end game. That's when they've already yeah. mastered everything and they're presenting it now. That's right. They've already got everything prepared. And then they bury everything that's going to prove that they're on bullshit. That's right. And how they bury that is through the appeal process because now as the inmate is appealing and, and, un, and dis, you know, unclosing all of this stuff, disclosing all of this stuff, they're working behind the scenes on burying it all so that it, it ends up being just a, a, lock, a lock and done. You can't appeal no more. You've done distinguished all your appeals. That's the game. And they, they misconstrue everything. You present an issue, they'll frame it however they want to frame it because there's nothing you can do about it. File a motion for consideration, reconsideration. Yeah, right. They're not going to pay attention to it, mm -hmm. even though they misconstrue all the facts and just rule however they want to rule. That's right. Judges give dissent. When a judge gives dissent, nine times out of ten, he won't even give a dissent on what your issue was. He just creates his own dissent and then and then just denies it. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you'll get your you you'll get your appeal back from the judge, and you're like. But, but he didn't even respond to none of my arguments. <laughs> and, and I tell people all the time, look at all these guys who've been exonerated. There's been tons of exonerations. All of them guys went through the appellate process, and they all got shot down. And the Court of Appeals basically rubber-stamped everything on these guys. And it took them years, half their lives, lives to get back and prove, yeah, I was actually innocent. And the Court of Appeals was just rubber-stamping everything. That's exactly right. Look at look at the guy that just got out after 20 he spent 21 years in prison and they they let him out because they say that the photo that was used to arrest him was a false photo. It wasn't him. It was somebody else. It took 21 years to uncover that. And just like you just said, John, you hit it right on the head, partner. This kid went through an appeal process. How? 
How do you go through a whole appeal process and this is never uncovered? It takes 21 years to figure out that the wrong photo was used. It's ridiculous, man. And what I'm trying to get people to understand, and it's not about it's not about the criminal, it's about the crime. All they care about is convicting the crime. They don't care about finding the criminal. All they need to find is the 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 conviction to the crime. And that's and that's how I break it down to the people out here, brother. So let's look at that. If you if 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 proof is showing that that all they care about is the conviction, then we got to sit here and now turn around and look at why, why if if we have so many people exposing this that they only care about the conviction, how come there's no change? How come it's it's ongoing? Then that has to tell you that this is intentional. So why is it intentional? Because they're trying to strip us of our voters' rights, our gun rights. They're trying to take our guns from us. All of this stuff ends up being political. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. They want to disenfranchise a whole class of people. The poor people. They want to keep us enslaved. They want to keep us right. controlled and enslaved. You're absolutely right. Class warfare. Because the poor is what creates the rich. That's exactly right. So I have to paint this picture to the people so they can see that, John, so that when you're saying what you're saying, they can now start to understand why you're saying that. You you understand? Yeah. Because when these prisoners... Go ahead, partner. What what I want to let other people know, too, is this was never revealed during my case. It's never been revealed. That the chief assistant prosecutor... Of the legally appointed prosecutor in my case is my step my stepfather had a bitter divorce with his wife. She married the chief assistant prosecutor, so the chief assistant prosecutor was married to my my stepfather's ex wife. My stepfather's ex wife tried to have my stepfather arrested a bunch of times on bog on bog accusations, and it never flew. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So the chief prosecutor in your case is married essentially to your your stepmother? No, my stepfather's ex-wife. Stepfather's so, ex-wife. So your stepfather yeah. remarried to your mother, became your stepfather, but divorced this yeah. woman to marry your mom. That's right. And she... she married the chief assistant prosecutor. So he was the chief assistant prosecutor in the prosecutor's office, which created a conflict of interest which barred that prosecutor's office from having anything to do with my case. But not only did they not uh, reveal that so they'd be barred from this case, they got illegally appointed to prosecute me in a county outside of their jurisdiction. How? On what grounds? (laughs) That's what the Court of Appeals has ruled was illegal. The appointment was completely illegal, but they invoked the de facto officer doctrine which is some doctrine from back in the fifth, the medieval times. That's what you're saying. That we can do it. That's crazy. Yeah. De facto. It, it's nuts. Have it you? It had nothing to do with this case. Have you went? It ba- shows the bias. 
Have you went back to the prosecutor that you originally reached out to that we talked to on the stage that day and let her know, filled her in on everything that's going on? Yes, I thought she's no longer the prosecutor anymore. Why? I don't know. I don't. She left to do something else. She's not in Hingham County anymore. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I let everyone know. I let the CIU know because this is huge. You had this... this this uh, chief assistant prosecutor who was, you know, him and the uh, head prosecutor were basically buddies. They're, they're best friends. These people were showing up at my stepbrother's wedding, at my stepsister's wedding, when my mother would be there with my stepfather. You know, this is a, this is, this is a huge conflict of interest. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is what kind of relationship did you have with her? I had no relationship with her. You know, I, I, I'd go to their house with my stepbrother because my stepbrother and my stepsister lived with them. Two of my stepbrothers lived in our house, and then one of my stepbrothers and my stepsister lived in their house. But she always had a bitter and contentious relationship with my mother and my stepfather. You know, there's a there's an animosity between them. Yeah. So when this case comes, there's no way they should have been able to have anything to do with this case, and that shows the bias of what they wanted to do. Yeah, I agree with you there. Because any kind of, you know, if she's if she was the ex-wife and like you guys never had any kind of like she didn't don't even know who you are, then okay, maybe. But any kind of interaction, like you say, she's she's showing a vindictiveness towards his new marriage, and why not yeah. attack the son of that new marriage? That's right. But. None of this was even revealed. This should this should have been brought to the the court's attention from the get go. Absolutely, that should have been brought to the to, to the jury. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the court could have ruled on it beforehand and said that they should have had nothing to do with this case. You know, we got case law in Michigan that says that's what's supposed to happen. That the prosecutor is supposed to bring this to the court's attention. Now, the Supreme Court. See, my argument was the Supreme Court has made a ruling on the de facto officer doctrine when it, doctrine when it comes to a judge. And I told them just because it was a judge they applied this to doesn't mean that it doesn't pertain to a prosecutor, too. And the Court of Appeals here in Michigan was like, no, that only pertained to a judge. But the Supreme, U.S. Supreme Court addressed the de facto officer doctrine, not the de facto judge doctrine. That's one of the issues I'm trying to present to the Michigan Supreme Court, but the court clerk is refusing to file my my state hate. So de facto, in in legal term meaning, is in fact or reality, which is used to qualify many legal concepts, even when the formal legal requirements have not been met. De facto law refers to a legal practice or formality that is not specifically enumerated by law. You have one minute remaining. Call from John Keogh. Thomas, how's it going? Good morning, Big John. How are you doing, man? I'm all right. Just got back from a class. I had a chance for life class I had to attend earlier. True. Man, I'm just, uh, it's Monday morning, man. It's, it's, um, I'm stressed. Stressed? <laughs> It's uh it's tough man you know because I um 
you know, I'm doing all this on my own, right? It's just me out here. And and at the end of the day, I'm still a returning citizen, right? And um it's it's hard, man. You know, I I, I try to uh I have this issue with trusting people and, and people just really show their true colors. You know, it's 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 hard out here. It's hard to find somebody that is willing to, to get in and roll up their sleeves and do the right thing, man. Everybody has agenda, everybody is, is led by ego. You know, people are in here to, to look pretty on Facebook, and it's just, it just, it, it really starts to get to me, you know, because like I'm here all day, every day. I have no life out here, John. I don't have no nice car. You know what I mean? I'm not worried about none of that stuff. You know, it's it's like it's like you and, and Tamujin and all of these people who are left behind because others are being showcased and put in front for votes and, and for political stuff, man, and, and um, man, this shit really hurts me, and then at the end of the day, you know, you, you have people that you trust, man, and then when they see signs of a little bit of money, like, their whole thing changes, you know what I mean, everything just changes, and, and there was a big organization down here that the whole organization, the whole organization collapsed because they got a grant, for $25,000, and the people started going crazy, you know, so it's just, you know, I I have a meeting, I go to a meeting with the top Hillsborough County officials, John, right, these are the top, these are the people that when the money comes in, it goes to them, and then they decide where the money goes, right, and this is on, on the opioid crisis here in Hillsboro. So when we, when we go in front of these people, man, of course, the whole thing is a, is a gimmick to begin with. They throw a monkey wrench in the whole project. And this is why the group that I'm with down here, man, that's why I'm so, uh, it's, it's, it's divine what's going on down here, right? Because I'm with a group of me. So when we went in with this presentation and they threw this monkey wrench in there, the speaker of the presentation was like, well, then we're not even going to present the presentation and we're just going to have a conversation. And man, I wanted to pat him on the back. So, so, because damn this, this presentation, man, you know, let's talk about this stuff. Let's talk about what's really going on. John, they had no idea who they, who this organization even was. They have no clue. They're like, well, who we've never even heard of these people. And we're, we're, we're blown away. Like, what, what do you mean you've never, but like, how, how does that even happen? And these are biblical times, man. This is, this is, this is like back in, 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 in the Renaissance, man, when these people were making paintings of, of just dark times, you know what I mean? Gnarling, gnashing demons, just ripping people apart. And that's, that's what's happening out here.
But what you're out there doing, you're not putting out a show. You're really putting in the work. And it's and I'm a returning citizen at the end of the day. And again, I'm by myself, man. I'm trying to do I'm trying to found a nonprofit that the people that the people can rely on, that the people can trust on, right? That the ple- that the people can believe in and and I'm I'm by myself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you came from the struggle, so you know the struggle. That's why you got a passion for it. You feel it. You're really out there fighting for it because you came from this. And you're who the people need to rally behind, someone who knows the struggle, and someone really who has a passion for the struggle, who's really fighting. Not someone that's all song and dance. Even for my own companions, man. Even for my own companions, my own brothers and sisters will attack me because I question a prosecutor or I, I question a legislator or I question a representative, especially coming out of your state. You got to question everyone. Man, I question everyone. Yeah, no one gets a pass. That's not how this works. Everyone gets questioned. <laughs> and that's exactly and that's exactly what I put on Facebook this morning when this person was was calling me out on this here right that's exactly what i put out there john you got to understand who thomas free me is i'm not giving these people no passes you know what i mean i'm not giving these people have locked up men and women for thousands of years why do they get a pass you have to understand you people up here are trying to change a person you don't get it you're not trying to change the mindset. You think that this person you're sitting in this room with, smiling with, is going to change and have empathy? Come on, man. These people get these people eat dinner off locking you up. Where are they going to find empathy in that? They sure do. They do. See, for them, they think it's now it's, it's uh, politically advantageous for them want to see criminal justice reform. It's not because it's in their heart. No, it's because society is looking at them different. So now they want to put on this this show like they're all for it. That's why none of them get passes, because there are some who really want to want to do the good work, who see the, the error of what's going on, because the system is broke, and it can't keep running how it's running. So there are some who really want to fix it. But they got to prove that they really want to fix it. They can't just say they do, and then, you know, they're just telling that to the public, but they're really putting in no work and behind closed doors. You know, you see who they truly are. Well, and that's my point. You cannot sit here and tell me that you want me to, to pat a conviction integrity unit on the back when I'm sitting here and one of my main advocates is Tamujin Kinsu. Mm-hmm. How? And then you want me to sit here and make posts about Jesus and, and all? Come on, man. Come on. Come on. What are we doing, people? What are we doing, man? I'm not doing that. Well, you got you to gotta fight your fight. I mean, they're going to put up all the barriers they can against you. That's why I'm just, I'm just tired, man. You know, and, and, and sometimes when you guys call, I be venting to y'all, you know, because I know y'all get me too, you know? Yeah. I'm in my own prison out here, man. You don't have to be behind walls to be in prison. No, you don't. You can mentally be in a prison. And a lot of people out there are mentally in a prison. 
because they've been sold a lie. But some people are waking up. It's time for them to wake up. It's time for them to see the truth. And all they got to do is listen to the right people. And all they got to do is question. Just ask questions. That's why no one should be above questions. Man, listen, man, when I was in that cell looking at myself, coming home, making the decisions I was making, deciding on the path I was going to walk, and I told them, I told myself, I'm going to hold people accountable. People have held me accountable my whole damn life. Nobody's never given me no pass. I'm going to hold people accountable, man. You have to. And that's why people ask me all the time, because I got guys in here, and they'll see the news, and they'll see someone get out that's been wrongfully convicted, been in here for 30 years. The first thing they say is, I don't have any, any animosity. And some guys in here say, well, I would have a ton of animosity. Well, I say, no, you don't have to have animosity, but you got to hold people accountable. People have to be held accountable for what they do. So if there were people who were involved in these wrongful convictions, they have to be held accountable. It's not animosity. It's, no, we got to fix the system. So you can't leave these people in positions of power who cause these wrongful convictions. So, no, they have to be held accountable. That's not an animosity. That's just holding these people to the fire where they deserve to be, to be held. That's, that's absolutely correct, man. You know, I, I heard, man, I listen, man, I heard a name the other day that um, I've never heard before, right? And it came on. Thank you for using GTL. Thomas. What's going on, brother? The same thing, man. You got cut off earlier, but uh, it took a while for, for me to get the message to call back uh, at the right time. Everything runs slow in here. Yeah, no question. No, I, I, that goes into to just what I was talking about. You know, there's just there's just not enough time for. I'm the only one handling everything. So I was in a I was in a you know the an important meeting then. You know, so it's it's, it's just I have no no assistance, no help. I'm just trying to be everywhere at once. But and I just get overwhelmed and frustrated with that. But but um. Well, where is everyone that says they're fighting for the cause? Why aren't they stepping up to help you? I don't understand it. Where are these people? Everyone says they're down for the criminal justice reform movement and they're out there fighting, but they got someone like you who's ready to spearhead, who's out there doing, who's actually showing and proving, and where are they to help you? I don't understand it. Crickets. Crickets, man. You know, I have... There, there, are, there are individuals that um, helped me, uh, no question. I have support from other organizations that are scattered throughout the nation. But as far as here in Tampa, boots on the ground that can be in the office with me, um, helping me answer calls, to, you know, taking meetings, helping me keep the book straight, help, so give me some time to edit all these shows that I, you know what I mean? Just some kind of alleviation. There, that's, there's none of that. You know, it's just like yesterday, me and another another cat, we try to put on a, a fundraising car wash for, for Second Chance, right? And we have all these volunteers for weeks sit there and say, oh, man, that's great. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. But come the morning of, it's, oh, man, you know, this came up or, oh, you know, I was up late last night. I've been sick all night. You know what I mean? It, so... So then when we get there, it's just him and I, and we're like, man, well, we, you and I can't put on a whole dang car wash, you know, so we'll just have to try it again in a couple weeks. The two-man car wash? 
Well, someone needs to step up in that Tampa area. That's where you are in Tampa. Yeah, I'm in Tampa, but it's all over. It's the, it's the mentality of people out of here. You know, people want something to happen, but they don't want to be the ones to do it. They want somebody else to do the work for them. That's how it is out here anymore, man. Well, no one's going to do the work for them. So if they want this stuff to happen, they got to fight for it. I tell guys that all the time in here that, that no one's going to do it for you. If you want to get up out of here, you got to start putting in some work. Don't rely on your lawyer or or anyone else out there who says that they got you. You better get in the law library and start learning the law. Learn about your case because no one knows it better than you. And you better be out there fighting for this stuff. Because if you're not fighting it, no one's going to fight for you. That's the truth, buddy. Those are the facts. Those are the cold yeah. hard facts, man. But that's just what, what we deal with out here, you know? And it, and that's in and and it's that's in our government. You know, it's not just the citizens; it's it's the government as well. I mean, but the government government wants to maintain the status quo. Amen. And that's why they don't really want to do anything about it. You know, this is this is their racket. Why would they want to disrupt their racket? They got a good thing going on. They absolutely do, man. So how how's everything in there as far as uh, stress wise and and. And, and such. Is there a lot of tension in the going on with the inmates inside? At this facility, not as much as others. You know, this facility is, is mostly older guys, but it's 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 more depressing because you got guys in here who've been down 50 years. I was in a day room with a guy the other day who's been down 50 years. Now, come on, that's ridiculous. 50 years? What is this guy? What kind of threat to society is this guy? And he's not the only one here. You know, you got guys in here, it's it's not even uh, uh, something unusual to see guys with 30, 40, even 50 years in here. Because this is kind of like a retirement home type setting. And then on the other side of the prison, that's where you got the younger guys. But they got us separated now, where we used to have yard together. Now they got us uh, blocked off from each other. But the side I'm on right now is mostly older guys. And... You know, you got, you see wheelchairs, walkers every day. You know, these guys, someone needs to let them out. I mean, you're talking about the second chance. These are the guys that need a second chance because right now all they're doing is taking up dead space because Michigan is known for warehousing people. That's what they do here. They'll put you in here and just warehouse you. But let me ask you this here, right? We know that that individual that you're talking about is getting... The state is getting $40,000 a year for that one individual that you're speaking of right there. If if the state was to release that individual, would that individual be able to produce that $40,000 a year on himself, by himself out of society? Or would he end up being a drain on an already overburdened community? You know what? It's sad to say this. A lot of these guys aren't prepared to go out there, so they probably would be a burden because no one prepared them for to get out of here. You know, they expected to be here for the rest of their life. So they, you know, we don't have when you when you get life, you're not offered the programming that someone with a short amount of time has, which is sad because you need guys even to have a long uh, long sentences or even life to get this programming too because these guys become mentors to the to the younger guys who come in here 
and can breathe on them and tell them, look, this is what you really need to be doing. And if they do get a shot to return to society, now they have the skills where they can they can thrive in society, where they don't become a burden. But it's just not how things work in here. And see, and that's powerful what you say, and I appreciate you saying that because that's a lot of my message to these grim, criminal justice advocate groups as well. Like, you guys are out here pushing for all of this good time and, and for all of these people to be released who's been incarcerated all of this time. And what is going to happen to these people? Because there's no programs in place for them when they come home. So so why are we putting out a mass rush for these bills to get these people out? I, I, I mean, I get it. Of course, I want people to come home from prison, but I want people to come home from prison, not to go back to prison. Of course, yes, you're absolutely right. You, the, what what, what you sense? Right. So, like, what are we doing to put in place something to make sure that that doesn't occur as well? And that's one thing that has evolved uh, recently is we have organizations in here like the National Lifers. And now National Lifers offers programming to guys and doesn't, you know, we don't restrict anyone. If you can have life, and still comes to programs for National Lifers. But these are all inmate-run programs. You know, this isn't something that uh, the MDOC put in place. This is something inmates had to put in place, have had to put in place, because we saw the need for it. We weren't getting the programming as lifers that we needed. So the organate organization organization stepped up, and we provide the programming for guys who will someday, even though you don't think they will. We'll be getting out of here. Amen. Well, let me ask this, because the, John, the the general perception is that when you have a life sentence, you lose all care and that you're in there just raping and pillaging, you know, and 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 doing all this crazy stuff and you're not programming and whatnot. So how true is that? You know, that's the biggest misnomer there is. Guys with life are the most laid back guys in the joint. Guys with life are the ones who are telling the short timers, be cool. That's not what you want to do. Because a lot of times guys with life come down, like myself when I came down. You know, I was in and out of the hole my first my first couple years up in here. Because I didn't know I was just getting used to the uh, prison. But then you get tired of going to the hole. You're like, you know, this ain't where it's at. And you learn over time. For most lifers, they've learned their lesson now. They don't want to. They don't want to be sitting in the hole for months, if not years, on end. So they're laid back. You know, they want to enjoy what life they have. Amen. As well said. So how 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 would you say? How well would you say that prison's design is to to formulate a compliant mind? You know, a lot of my message out here is is that what we see going on in the nation and, and specifically the world is that they are trying to eradic eradicate the alpha thinker. That is what the mass incarceration movement here in America is, is trying to eradicate the free thinker. And when you think about it out here, if you don't have any altercations with police, it's because you comply with them. If you do not comply with an officer they don't stop. 
they don't stop. At some point in between when that officer tells you to stop and you being shot to death, you comply because the end result is death if you if you do not comply. But at some point, whether it's the mace in the face, the billy club to the gut, you know, the, the choking, the, the arm twist behind the neck, some point you're going to comply because if not, you're going to die. And in prison, it, it is almost beaten to us, compliance. They want inmates to comply. And, and what I heard it sounded like you said was that these lifers, you've been in there so long, you get tired of going to the hole. You get tired of, of, of doing this and you just end up becoming to the point to where you just become docile. Well, and, and a lot of us grow out of it. You know, a lot of us come down young. But one thing I've noticed uh, over the time of being in here is, you know, you got some of the most uh, resistant, incorrigible guys in prison. So I see a lot of the things that they've done in prison where they've tried to implement that eventually get implemented in society. You know, when you first come to prison, there's the cameras. They're all watching you. Now, you saw that everyone in, in prison, they could, they could do it to them. They could have cameras on them. So they got them to comply with the cameras. Now, what do they do? They implement it in society. So I see some of the tactics they use on prisoners eventually get put on society in the world. So that it's like it's a, a, a testing ground or a training ground in here for what they can get away with. And then they'll implement it in society. Power. Man, I used to say that when I was incarcerated as well. Man, this is a training ground. This is because because inside a prison, you understand that this is just like society. There's no difference. All prison is is a microcosm of society. Only, only in prison, the repercussions of your actions are a lot more severe. That is the only difference. But other than that, you can live in prison just how you live out here in society. And, and this is what I, I tell mothers and I tell wives when they come to me and they ask me, is my husband or my son or whatever being abused? And I would ask them, well, how did they conform out here in society? Did they get along with people? Were they cool? You know what I mean? Or were they troublemakers? Were they bullies? Were they always in, in, in some sort of interaction? Because that is how they're going to be inside as well. So You're right. a lot of what you say is is exactly what I am trying to get out to America, that this is a training ground. They use they they use they, they create certain situations within prison to see how toxic it will go before people react. And and yeah, it's it's, it's all the same, man, because let's, let me tell you, I feel like I'm in prison out here. The only difference is, is the yard is bigger. That is that is it. I, I'm still controlled where I can go to a certain extent. I'm still controlled of of so many different elements unless I comply. You have one minute remaining. The police yeah. are no different from from prison guards out here. No different. You gonna call back? Power don't want to lose it. Yeah, I'm gonna call back. Guaranteed. All right, call back. I'm just sitting here. All right. All right. Yeah. But um, that's it, man. That's why I love talking to you guys, man. You, Tamujin, and so many of you guys, man. I really need to get back up with Trinity too. 
But um, that's why I love yeah, talking I'll, to you I'll guys. You'll see Trinity tonight. Yeah, yeah. Tell him I said what's up, man. All right, I will. Yeah, yeah. You know, me and me and Trinity, we're, uh, we're like brothers. We've known each other since since we were both out there. I met him in Denver. Back in uh, 1996, I think it was. 95 or 96, somewhere around there. And uh, years later, just happened to be on the yard, and I, I saw a guy walk in the yard, looked familiar, but didn't know. So I had to stop him and ask. Sure enough, it was him. Couldn't believe he was in Michigan. That's how small the world is. Amen, man. Those are some of the good times too, man. There's been there's been times like that, man, where I've especially in the feds, because you move compounds a lot, so you 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 uh you lose touch with people and then years later you, you connect with them on another compound. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's it's just uh, a lot of camaraderie inside, man. And that's going back to what I was saying, that's why I love talking to you guys, man, because it gives me a sense of of still remaining within that brotherhood. You know what I mean? That companionship, and, and it gives me a yeah. sense of home because it's hard to find home out here. I think that's what... And Go ahead. It can, take, it can take you back to when you were on the yard. Yeah. You know, you know what it's like to be on the yard when you're, when you're with someone who's close to you. I mean, we get shipped out, moved, and split apart at, at the drop of a dime. They do it whenever they want. But you already know that Years later, when you see that same guy, it's like you never missed a beat. Never missed a it's beat. It's like you just talked to him yesterday. That's because we don't change, man. That's that's the whole issue. <laughs> you know? <laughs> we don't change, but yeah, you're absolutely right, man. It's, it's like just sitting on the softball field on the bleachers, just kicking it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And I feel that's why a lot of individuals, they come home and they go back to prison because of, of that camaraderie that, you know, it's, it's hard to find out here. People are different out here, man. That's why, you know, we always got the saying, like, everybody needs to go through a penitentiary. You know, everybody needs to go through a penitentiary. Every American citizen, go through a penitentiary for, for a good five years, and then you really start to appreciate what you got out here. And you'll learn a lot about yourself. You'll learn <laughs> who you are. Amen. Then you understand you're not as tough as you think that you are, huh? <laughs> <laughs> there's, a whole, there's a whole compound full of tough guys. <laughs> I'll tell you, man. But it's not all bad in here. I, I can't tell people it's all bad in here. You know. There are good times. It's life, man. We make the best of the situation that we're in, you know, and that's yeah. that's what I try to get these guys to understand that's in there and they're doing anything that they can do to get home and all this. It's like, you know, for, to what? You guys, you know, I get it. You're inside and you think, you know, that you're locked up and you're, you're just wanting to get out here, but you get out of here and you find out that it's, it's not what you thought that it was. And you got to take some time. If, if you're going to be in here, it's best to utilize the time you got. Take some time to work on you. Find out who you are and then work on you as a person. Like you might 
uh, spend all your time thinking about you want to get out, I want to, but if you just get out to be that same person that brought you here, well, you're not doing anything with your time. That's right. that's going to bring you right back. So you need to work on yourself. Pipe the best dreams. way to work on yourself is to do some introspection. Find out who you are first. And then you can correct whatever is wrong with you that brought you here. That's, that's, um, that's the truth, man. That's 100% people that are listening. That's the 100% absolute truth and when i started looking at prison as a monastery that is that is the exact perspective that i had to look at my surroundings in order for me to to change was stop looking at this as a prison and start looking at it as an opportunity and i started looking at it as a monastery and you have people that pay millions of dollars man to get away from society to get away from all of their responsibilities so that they can find themselves quote unquote Right. And we've been given that opportunity through our actions to be plucked from society, plucked from all of these responsibilities, kind of like a timeout. And how I looked at it was being put back into the womb of society. And then that when you're released from this womb is your rebirth. And, and that rebirth, like you said, has to be a new person. That's my message out here. Create you a new identity. Whoever it is that you wanted to be when you was a small boy, that, that whoever, whatever life stole from you, create that image now and, and just take on that image and never let that image be subject to anybody else's perception again. Hence, Thomas Freeman. That's what I did. And Thomas Freeman was born on, on March 16th, 2016 at 10.32 a.m. I was spit out. And boy, do the, does, hey, man, does the world wish they could put me back now? I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but I'm going to tell you, like, coming here, initially when you come here, it, initially it'll tell you who you are and what type of person you are. Because I see it all the time. I see guys that come in here and have nothing and nobody. So what did you do when you came here and you have nothing and nobody? You know, I, I came to prison, and I was accused of some heinous shit. Yet, I still had a multitude of friends, and my family were still riding with me. One, because they knew it was some garbage, but two, because they knew what type of person I was. So, coming here will initially show you what type of person you are. I mean, think, a lot of the listeners out there think if you were thrown into that situation, you were just locked up off the street, taken away from everybody. Who would still be there for you? You would learn a lot about yourself of who you are and who your actual friends are by the people who would stick with you and the people who would just abandon you. And, and I mean, how, how do we get the people to understand that, man? You know, it's and that's. So I'm going to share with you, right? I'm going to share with you real quick going going exactly what you're talking about so i'm dealing with a mother out in virginia her son to give a quick recap her son was arrested for uh attempted murder on a leo this attempted a murder on a leo how this came about was her son was 17 at the time just just getting ready to turn 18 and was addicted to xanax was having an episode with the stepfather one night and he stormed out of the house. In the process of him storming out of the house, 
he took a pocket knife with him. The mom got worried that he was going to go hurt himself. So he went down the street where the mom could see out the window and whatnot, but she had called the police to come do a welfare check on him because she was scared he was going to go hurt himself. So he's parked down the street. He walked down the street. He's parked on a park bench, sitting on a park bench. The cop come up behind him and tackled him off the park bench, right, in some kind of way. And in that struggle, the kid, you know, the kid don't know who he is. She said, the mom said she watched the whole thing. The cops never announced themselves, nothing of that nature. So in that process, he ended up, he ended up stabbing the, the cop in the, in the leg. The, the cop got stabbed in the leg. This mother, who is a, an EMT, ER nurse, right, worked side by side with, with cops for the last 20 years, had coffee with them, donuts with them in the ER room and all this, all of them knew her, now was her enemy and sat in the courtroom while her son was going to trial for these things. They ended up giving this kid 60-some-odd years. Six, crazy. At, at, as a juvenile, he, he just turned 18 years old. They gave him something like 60-some-odd years. They drugged the mother through hell, blasted her all on social media, all through the news to the point to where she damn near became suicidal. So I've been working with her almost daily. Um, just checking in on her. She's still a wreck. But the reason why I bring that up, this is a letter from him to his mom, right? So it says, hey, mom, I really miss you. The past few days I've been in my head a lot, just reminiscent about the time I've done in my time before lockup. I miss school and being a little kid with Chance and growing up with Ryan and Dane. So much has changed since then. It just keeps changing more and more by the day. This place gets super stressful. Even when there's nothing going on in my life, more than just being locked up, I let my anxiety get the best of me and I start feeling super overwhelmed. This place sucks and I know I got to do at least another year up here unless they give me a lateral to another four. I want to come home so bad. I want to be able to feel free and happy. This place weighs me down no matter what I do to try to help calm. I want to come home bad. I want to be able to feel free and happy. Six years and I still have still six years and I still have yet to do to go somewhere. Isn't that horrible from a year in detention center to three and a half in jail to a year in receiving to a year up here. I can't catch a break everywhere I go is oppression and lockdown. I can't wait to come home and be at peace. That's all I want in my life before I die is to be at peace with my life. I promise I'll make you proud starting now. I'm coming up a year charge free. And I'm still in the kitchen working 16-hour shifts, three to five days a week. I'm in the print shop, vocational school, and just got a certificate for completing a substance abuse PTSD class. I'm pushing with everything I can for me and you. Thank you for making me the kind-hearted good man I am today. You are the only parent figure I've ever had that I could count on. The only one I believe loves me. And, and the only one I look up to. I'm about to be 23 and Hamdala, because he's Muslim, Hamdala, life is, is a blessing no matter what hardship I face because I have people like you who make it worth the while. I love you so much, Mama, so, so, so much. And this is the letter from a, a cold-hearted cop, cop killer to his mom. That's heartbreaking. And then, and then the mom. And she called the cops. She called the police.
because she wanted she was in fear of her son and just wanted somebody to protect her son from himself and watched her son be taken away and never seen the street again. So how do you think that mother feels? That mother feels like she's guilty of that. She is every letter that he sends home like that tears her soul apart. That's horrible. Heartbreaking. And I hope that she can she can find some peace with herself and understand that it, that wasn't her fault. I, I, that I, wasn't her fault. I work with her. She reached out to me, homie. She reached out onto me to me on Instagram. I still have the note that she reached out to me. She just ran across my podcast. She's like, I, she was at, at wit's end. She, she had, she ran away from home. She was living out in the woods. She had, she had just gone batshit crazy over everything. And, and one day she says she just happened to be, to run across my podcast. And she says she could not stop listening to my podcast. And she started to understand what was done to her. And, and all of that depression turned into rage. So now she's, she's like, and, and, she, and this was all her, her letter. I still have it. You know what I mean? So these now, are, these are the inspiration. Now she's focused, you know, and, 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 um, you have one minute remaining. These are the inspirational notes that I get from people that, that just keep me doing what I'm doing, you know? Well, I'm glad people are listening and, and people are waking up and I'm glad there's, there's women like her who are becoming focused and seeing what's truly going on. And, and that's what she needs to do. She needs to take that rage she has and focus, focus it in a positive direction. Hey, man, you going to call back? Yeah, I'm going to give you a call back as soon as it hangs up. Yeah. Hey, man, and that's, that's what I work with her on, you know, because she was wronged by so many people. Her, her best friend of the family was an attorney, they end, he, he screwed her out of so much money, but she ends up winning in court, and he has to pay all that back. You already know what they do. I don't even want to get into that racket. Man, it's crazy. Because I, I, I piss some people off, especially some attorneys. 